I'm Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Anita Newman, and we're focused on her book, Clark, the Colorblind Chameleon. Oh, it's an awesome book, and you're going to love this talk. And, and, and by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and uh, left a review for the podcast. Could you do that for me? You know, the, the other thing I would love for you to take a, a shot at is, uh, do you have friends who uh, haven't listened to it? Oh, that would be so cool if you shared it with your friends, your family, your, your colleagues. Yeah. Say, hey, are you subscribed yet to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12? Hmm? <laughs> that would be so cool. Hey, you're awesome. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Anita Newman has taught in Massachusetts and Rome as a kindergarten, first grade, bilingual, and all-levels vocal music teacher. As a teacher of young children, she had the opportunity to closely observe students with special needs struggle to come to terms with physical and academic limitations. She understands learning disabilities and how they are, and how they are overcome, not eradicated. As a school psychologist, she has tested for disabilities, written educational plans, and practical strategies for students' help in learning. Clark the Colorblind Chameleon is one of the stories she wrote for her students to help them better understand themselves and their classmates. She has a master's degree in school psychology and is a labor law attorney using her skills as, uh, as president, grievance chair, and negotiator of local teachers unions in both Sutton and Bridgewater Ram schools. She is also a national board certified teacher. Anita has written and produced 10 different musicals for kindergarten and uh, first grade students, as well as been the lead soprano in the Intimate Opera Company of Worcester, Massachusetts, and correspondent for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. She currently lives in Carver, Massachusetts, where she sings, writes, and causes good trouble. Our focus today is on her book, Clark, the Colorblind Chameleon. Anita, it's awesome to have you on the show. Welcome and say hi to everybody. Hi. <laughs> it's, like, it's fun to be here. I mean, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, uh, you know, I got to, before we start talking about your book, Clark, the Colorblind Chameleon, you have to talk about teaching kindergarten in first grade. What do you like about working with kids? Well, I especially love working with young children because they're, um, they're just so open and ready to learn, and they learn, they, they learn huge amounts when you look at what they've learned from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. 
and they're so engaged. They want to, they want to do what you're, what you're teaching. And because I used um, all the modalities, in other words, I use art, music, movement, dance, um, listening, all to get them to learn everything that they did. I think they really enjoyed it. And I believe children need to have things to do to do like in, in math you can't just make you can make a memorize stuff but but it's better if you have little manipulatives things that they use to um show them how it is and they you there's many many things you can do and i enjoyed doing it it's so i found it so much fun myself to set up a scent of a set of centers that, that was teaching certain certain things that they needed to know that's cool. That's very cool. I, 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 that was a blast and uh, <laughs> impactful too. Is what I think is cool. So very neat. And something that that also is cool is that you've written musicals for kindergartners and first graders. All right, you got to tell me more about this. All right, um, I, I am a, a musician. My first degree was in music, and so I can, can compose. I mean, I'm not a great. I'm not like Beethoven or anything, but I compose for young children. And I can play the piano, but it's quarterly. I'm not a great pianist. I'm a singer. And um, I didn't like the musicals that you could order. I found them very boring. Um, so I, I decided one time, you know what, you could write your own. And I can. <laughs> so we'd be studying, like if we were studying chameleons, I would have a story that I might follow from someone else or make up my own. And then I would make songs to go with each concept that was going along the story. And what you do is you make the chorus first. That's interesting. They move, they clap, they do something in it, and it's rhythmic. And then you have your verses that tell the science or the social studies or whatever we are learning. And I was able to do that for um, 10 different shows. They last about 35 to 40 minutes, so it's not a dinky thing. And the children memorize immediately. They're wonderful. I don't even remember my own songs. And um, people helped me with the costumes, and the parents got involved. And every it was like a unit, a huge thing. They loved it, and they learned all kinds of science. Whatever we were doing, science, whatever we were, we were focusing on, and um, I think they probably remember it for the rest of their lives. That, that's, so. <laughs> that's cool. I just, I, just, I just think, and I can imagine they do. I mean, for some strange reason, I, have the, I can remember most of the lyrics to the different plays that I was in in elementary school. Um, I had, had a teacher who was into plays that were popular at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, I, it, like one of them's Oliver. You know, and I, and I remember the lines and it's just funny that I remember those lines. And, uh, um, so I remember the kids as kindergartners and first graders, they got, I'll bet they'll remember those forever. I think they will. And a lot of them, um, come, I, I don't live in the town where I worked, but when I run into them, they go, Oh, do you remember me? And of course I don't. Cause they're like totally different. They're 21 years old, and I had them when they were five. I'm like, you know, refresh my memory, please. And they'll they'll say, oh, I remember that musical we did about dinosaurs. Or there's different things I would pick. And also, it was good for my brain to do that kind of stuff. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I I just love it. I, I think that's really neat. So uh, very cool. Now, you, and you're also a performer, right? Now you've performed. Yeah. Um, you care to share a little bit about that? 
Um, I was in Worcester Opera School. I well, what was it called? Um, the Intimate Opera Company in Worcester, and it was they were trying to get off the ground. And I was the lead soprano, which meant I did the lead the lead soprano's roles, which is always the the um, romantic lead. And I always wanted to do the witch or something <laughs> else. And what the, like she called it intimate because she uh, it, some of them they were mostly one act, two act. Or if it was a long one, everything was in English. And you could hire us to go, like if you had a big party and you were wealthy, <laughs> you could hire us to come and do an opera or two operas for you because they're short and they're in English if people wouldn't like fall asleep. And she's trying to introduce people to opera, that it's, it's enjoyable. So, um, and I really enjoyed it, but unfortunately it didn't make it. So it's a good thing I had my teaching job. <laughs> Good thing. But, uh, well, that's cool. You know, kudos for doing that. That's awesome. That's uh, getting a chance to, to perform like that. That's awesome. It, you know, all right. So let's get into your, your book. I mean, so let's take a look at Clark, the colorblind chameleon. What inspired you to write a children's book? I have, a, I have many children's books I've written. This was one. And I just, it would come to me and I just want to write it. And I will say that when I wrote it, it was a lot more wordy. When you start to, to, to get ready to send it in and try to get it sold, I know because I read children's books all the time to the children, you, the pictures tell half the story. The illustrations tell half, and they tell the story you tell. So you really need a good illustrator, in my opinion. And um, so you have to cut, you cut out the words. You don't need to say that, you know, it was a bright green leaf on a beautiful tree. It's, it's the picture that shows that. You might say it's a green leaf and you turned red, but but it's the picture that shows that. And so you have to get that as a children's book writer. You have to get used to taking out all the a lot of the description. It will be done by the illustration. That, that is so cool because I got to say this because, you know, one of the questions I was planning on asking you has to do specifically with that. And, and so I'm going to kind of skip to that because, you know, okay. I, I, you know, sometimes you know, what happens is that books that are meant for children are too heavy in words and descriptions. And this, mm -hmm. so this is cool to hear you say this because this is one of the things that, you know, the writer means well, but they, it's like, have you recently read children's books, you know, or, or remember some of the ones you read or someone read to you? Because there's usually a lot more pictures that help with the story than there are uh, those extra words. And, and yours does that. And what I thought was cool is, you know, those other books that are so heavy in descriptions, they're really kind of lecturing the reader. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, yours is not doing that. Not so with Clark. I mean, how are you able to keep your story focused on that age of your audience? And I think it's cool because you kind of given me part of that answer by letting the pictures tell the story. Yes, the pictures do. Plus, your audience is, is a little children. They've got to um, relate to what, to the animal, whatever, whoever's having the problem. They will relate. They're funny. And they feel so sorry for Clark, you know. <laughs> I have read it to them without any pictures because I was testing them out. And um, they get right in, oh, poor Clark, you know. And then we talk about how it can be dangerous, too, because he has to change to, to protect himself. And then they're really, oh, what are we going to do, you know. <laughs> so you can get them. I read so many stories. I love reading to the kindergarten. And you do have to train them now. They, when I first started, you didn't. Now they're all video, all 
TV, all movies. And so at first they're, they're like, they're rolling around, you know, you got to focus, focus, look at the picture and get them involved. And then they love, then they love it. Once they realize how it uses their imagination too, they love story. I go, okay, I'm going to read you a story. Oh, and they all would come and sit where they're supposed to and wait, <laughs> but it took time. You have to be patient. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I can imagine. And it, and it's, and it's cool. I mean, it's a, it's a thing you're, I, for all my career um, as a teacher and an assistant principal and principal, I was, I was high school. And from time to time, I get a chance to go into elementary schools to go read um, to the kids and stuff like oh, this. Yeah. And that was always a blast because, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, you just, they, you get them to sit and listen, and then you got to do your best to, to uh, figure out how to make that story come a little alive or, or whatever. So you don't just read. You're, you have to ask some questions. What do you think? What would, would it be like if you couldn't do what everybody else did, you know, and they'll get into it. I love that. I love that. I, so I, I also got to ask you this. What, how, how did you come up with a chameleon? I mean, since he's a huge part of the story, but, you know, it's not a dog, not a cat. It's a chameleon. Well, I, I honestly don't know. It's just one day I had the idea. And so I sat and wrote it down. And I did. I did it had a lot more words, I must say. <laughs> and um, my dad was alive then. And he, loved, he used to tell me stories. I think he inspired my love of children's stories and getting the child really involved in it, because that's what he would do. Um, he was there, and he read it, and I could see his handwriting on the, you know, on the edges of the paper, and it's just so wonderful to have that. And he loved that. It was his favorite story. Of all the stories I've done, that was his favorite. That's cool. That's very cool. I, I like that. It's neat to, to have that uh, memory to be associated with mm -hmm. your, your story. Okay. So good stuff. I, you know, well, as the title um, says Clark is colorblind. And um, can you talk about young children and what they may experience when they cannot do what other children can do? Because that's kind of the, a little bit of what's going on in this story. Well, young children, it's funny that first they really aren't aware at all. But as the year goes on and you're learning a lot and they're beginning, so now we begin to teach reading in the kindergarten, which that's questionable, but, but they want it. So I had to do it. And about, I would say, three quarters can do it. The other quarter either aren't ready or they have a, you know, they have a problem. And so you try to help them in different ways so they don't feel that way, but they begin to notice. And you can see that they notice and they get, and then they look around at the little group they're in, if I'm in a center because I'm working in a reading, um, and they realize are these other, you know, they know they're the, you know, like you have a bluebird group and a redbird group and the buzzard group. But they know they're in the buzzard group. They begin to be aware of that. And I, I, try to keep that, I try to keep that out of it and have other groups for other things. So they're not always in that group. But when reading, I have to work at their level. And they know. They begin to see that they can't do it. So um, I notice more in first grade is when they, they either begin to act out or they... Um, you have to help them to, to accept who they are and work through the problem. And we do have help in schools. We have Title I. We have people that come in one-to-one -to, -one to work with them. But again, they know I'm going to Title I because I have a problem. And, and sometimes I'd, I'd explain to them, but if you have a problem, you're working on it. 
So it's not something you should be ashamed of. You are working on it. If you weren't working on it, that's when you should be worried. It's difficult. And this may help them. That's excellent. I, I think that's, that's so cool because I could see it definitely helping as they, as they root for Clark to figure things out. And, uh, and he does. And I, and I, and I got to say this because just like we just talked about with children, um, you know, and he's worried that he won't fit in. Well, can you talk about why it might be important for adults to recognize what a child is feeling when they sense that they are different from everyone, you know, from everyone else? Well, of, of, it's course, because it is an adult who's either his parents or teachers. If you understand what he's going through sometimes, or she, um, they will act out. And you have to get behind. Why are you doing that? What, what is the problem? And once you, too, see what it is, you can help the child. Instead of saying, you're just a brat, go to your room. And no, you need to learn. But what you, you, too, need to learn what is the problem and how can I help? And it's the same with teachers. And some teachers don't get it, unfortunately. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that, too. Because <laughs> that's it's a, it's, it's a, that's that adult that really needs to, to pay attention to that because you never know, it, you know, because sometimes it's a, the kid and the parents don't realize that the child needs glasses or is having a hearing problem or any number of things like that right. that might be part of the issue at those ages and mm-hmm. they haven't discovered yet. And that might be why the child's acting out or not participating or doing whatever. So, and it, I just think that your story may, brings all those types of things through the chameleons <laughs> to, uh, to the, to the top, to, you know, to, for people to think about. So, um, you know, so, so kind of sort of what I'm saying is it's not just for kids because as you're reading that as an adult, it's like the message comes through loud and clear, which is very nice. Uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to uh, make sure that you talk about, and you mentioned this earlier about finding, uh, um, you know, a good illustrator to tell the story through the pictures. You want to tell us a little bit about your illustrator? Cause you have beautiful pictures. My illustrator is Asha Hussain. Hussain. And she, uh, she does book covers. And she had done my book cover when I went to present to get this um, book published. And um, she'd done the book covers of everybody that was with me. That was what was recommended. And she, it, they were beautiful. And I really wanted her, and the publisher did not, did not wish to pay for it. So I pay for her myself. And she's very expensive, but she's worth it. She's definitely worth it. We did have a little question. So someone said, well, he, she's awfully, she's like Eric Carl. She really is. It, it is the same style, but it's, it's definitely different. So, you know, we looked up the law and, you know, it's a style. You can't own a style. <laughs> so, uh, but that was a question. That's interesting. That's, that's kind of rough to have to go through that. That uh, <laughs> I mean, because it's, it's not like... It's, it's not like you have a superhero that, lo and behold, this is the, if you look over in this comic, it's, it's yeah. same powers. The name's just spelled a little differently. Um, <laughs> it's not like that. I mean, but uh, it's, I, I love her artwork. I love the, beautiful, the yeah. it's so beautiful. And it's, and it, you don't need, it's just like with the words, you don't need lots of, you know, you don't have to put in everything that's in, you know, would be in the space um, to get the point across. Um, like when the cat shows up. <laughs> Yeah. Without giving anything away there, I mean, the cat shows up, you know, and that's, yeah. it's, you get the point. 
It's like, ooh, Clark, <laughs> time to run. <laughs> yeah, um, little guy. And and by the way, I have to connect that back to something you said earlier, which is uh, I could I could hear the kids, you know, responding to when you get to the part with the cat. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, they get all worried. And I can understand why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All works out. So uh, cool stuff. I, you know, one of the challenges that your story brings to mind is that a child may want to give up. I mean, mm-hmm. can you can you talk about this? I mean, what? Are, I mean, just there's all kinds of things that go, go with that. Can you just chit chat with me about it? Yes. Um, a big thing in schools today is uh, Angela. I think it's Angela Duxbury, Dux, Duxworth, grit, and yeah, right. um. And she did all kinds of studies on people who made it, even though they weren't as smart or didn't appear to be as smart. And they didn't appear to have everything they needed, but they went ahead because they had grit. They failed and tried again, failed and tried again. And you, your schools are now working on that with children. Um, and you're training that you're trying to train them to accept that, okay, I failed, but I learned from that failure. Now I have to move a little forward. I can't just say, oh, I give up. And, and so um, that's why I put him having a really hard time and wanting to, wanting to give up because it would be easy. I give up. I can't do it. Um, and he needed it. I mean, you can give up on some things, piano lessons if you want, but you cannot give on learning, up on learning to read. And it's this, the same kind of thing. He had, he had to learn or he was going to be either die of starvation <laughs> or living in, a, in his little nest or and not able to go out so he had he had to learn so he went ahead and he kept trying and kept trying and kept trying and that's why i have the um wise chameleon kind of giving him little hints along the way yeah i like that with the wise chameleon that's that's good stuff because i mean because what you're talking about is a huge message for him the, the idea of you know keep keep trying you keep it up yeah I like that a lot. It's like, uh, you know, the, especially, you know, when you talk about the age of the kid, they also, they're not, at those ages, they're not really um, turned against the world, I, I guess is the way I want to say it. Um, and so you have a real good shot at getting them to, to understand, don't give up. And I, yes. And I love that. And the motto of the book is never give up. So... <laughs> Which is awesome. So when you get to that part, uh, the kids re- respond when you're at the end. What do they, when you read it to when, the kids, when you read it to the kids and you get to that part, do you emphasize that? Um, well, I, as I'm going through it, I always say, do you think he's going to give up? Do you think he's just going to say, I, I can't do it? And they go, oh, no, he can't. He has to keep trying, you know. So, you know, and never give up. And you can get them to say that with you. It's, it's. You know, you're working with little kids. And then you see him trying, and, ch- and it's beginning to change. What do you think? you think he's going to make it? He's beginning to change color. He's getting close to it. He's, do you think he can do it? And they always say, yes, I think he can if he keeps trying. So, and he does. And then they're all, yay. <laughs> it depends on how you read it. You kind of, you don't just read a book straight. <laughs> you have to pull things out of them and give them help along the way. If you're teaching. <laughs> right, right. That's awesome. That is so cool. That is very cool. The, uh, you know, so along with Clark, and I know you've written other books, but do you have, do you, do you think of Clark going to be a series 
whether it's another creature or not, or whether it's Clark himself or herself. Yeah. Yes. I actually, I've seen books where authors, they become very famous. It becomes famous for the moment. And it's a cute little, a cute book. And they, they immediately come out with a second one. That's terrible. I mean, (laughs) I would order it and then I'd be like, Oh God, this doesn't, it doesn't come up anywhere near the, to the book quality of the book, the first one. So I've already been, I've already written it and been working on it. And it's Clark gets the blues and children do get depressed. So that's another thing. So, and people never thought little kids would get depressed, but they do. They have the pressure that little children probably should never have, but they do. That's so right. I mean, that's, that's cool. Well, kudos. I look forward to hearing about Clark has the blues. I think that's neat. They, uh, and cause, cause knowing that he's a chameleon, can uh, you could have a lot of interesting aspects with that one too? <laughs> yeah, see where some of the changes will be going. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's, and just as a note, what you said before about a lot of times you, you go out there and you buy that second book and you go, "Ooh, hmm, not what I was expecting." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, that was not what I thought you were going to say though, which is even funnier. So, um, so no, no, I, I don't want to be one of those books. If if I write it, you know, if they ask me to write another one, I don't want to be one where they go, oh, my God, the first one's great. This was not hot. <laughs> yeah, just, just don't look at Hollywood for any ideas. That's usually where that oh, happens. Well, that's right? the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's cool. Awesome. Good luck with good luck with that. And I can't wait to to, to see Clark Has a Blues come out. That's, that's so neat. I, you know, Anita, if someone wanted to reach out to you and ask you questions or uh, find out more information, is there a place you want to send them? I just have my email. All right. One more question, Anita. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? The teacher was my mom. My mother was a history and government teacher um, and an artist. So, and she was very, she was very good with me, because um, I was kind of, um, I wasn't rowdy, rowdy intellectually. I was, I was rowdy intellectually. I'll say, <laughs> I was always thinking of other things, and I also always thought I knew more, I knew better. So <laughs> she had to deal with that, and I don't, by the way, <laughs> know better. Um, and she would work with me, and she also did English. She also was an English teacher, so she would help me write. And my dad loved to write, so he wasn't. He was a professor at one point, but then he changed. He decided it wasn't enough money. <laughs> Professors don't get paid well, and um, at least they didn't. So, both of them helped me with my writing skills. And when I do a paper, I'd show it to either my mother or my father, and they would help me. I, t- I tended to change tenses along the way. It was one of my big problems, and they give me vocabulary. And so, she was the person who inspired me even though I told her I'll never be a teacher. And of course I am. So my father was, he was the storyteller. So I got, I got a kind of a double whammy and those, they influenced me probably obviously more than anyone else. That is so cool. That's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, Anita, thanks so much for sharing your book, Clark, the Colorblind Chameleon, today. I mean, what a wonderful story. It addresses the feelings of young children and fitting in, and I love it. Uh, wishing you the very best in all you do. Well, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy it. <laughs> Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, 
Your voice is right here. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.